I just want to keep reminding you. God's love and mercy never ends. He never stops reaching out. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, I've heard it it said like this. Uh, Somebody asked, uh, how how much uh, did Jesus love us? And he said, this much. This much. Let's all do that. Be carefully do that. This This much. It never stops. He never stops. He never stops. He never stops. And it's it's not up to you. You can't you can't make Jesus stop loving you. Do, do, are, are we clear about that? You can't make Jesus stop loving you. His promises keep pursuing you. His love keeps coming after you. His arms keep reaching out for you. And, there's nothing you can do to make him stop because uh, God is love. And you are the object of his love. Amen. All right? I know that there are some people who don't love you. There are some people who don't treat you lovingly. But that's just because... They've got their own problems. Um, And most likely it's because they have yet to really, truly, fully experience the love of God in their own life. You can't give away something that you don't have. So when other... That's right. The people who treat you unlovingly are at least for that moment not experiencing the love of God in their own lives. Because I don't have anything to give you. Uh, So don't take that personally. That's the one thing that matters, always matters. His love and mercy for you is everlasting. It's infinite. It never stops. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him stop loving you. So... uh, Let's all say that. I can't make God stop loving me. Say it again. I can't make God stop loving me. Got it? Is that right? Uh, Turn around to somebody and say, you can't make God stop loving you. You can't make God stop loving you. You can't make God stop loving you. So, and add this, add this on the end. You can't make God stop loving you, so stop trying. So stop trying. Because some of you, so, so, so listen up here. This is, this is the thing. Some of you don't love yourselves. And so you keep trying to think of reasons why God doesn't love you and why God doesn't want you and why God doesn't care about you. Because you don't want to be disappointed in hoping that God would love you and then find out that you were wrong and be let down again. People let you down, and sometimes we feel like God will let us down because people have let us down. But stop it. Stop trying to make God stop loving you because you can't. You can't. 
I tell you what, Cindy, I haven't met a single person who doesn't love you. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. That's not, incidentally, that's not a typo. Let's, uh, let's all say this title together. Happy Thanks Living. Happy Thanks Living. One more time. One, two, three. Happy Thanks Living. All right. Don't forget that. If you don't remember anything else about this little sermon this morning, remember that. All right. Happy Thanks Living. Okay. Somebody tell me what this is. Yeah, we've got to get this resolution fixed. But anyhow, this is the Last Supper. In, in Italian, it's called it's in the Cinoculo. Uh It's one of the most famous artworks in the world. It's painted by Leonardo da Vinci, probably between 1495 and 1498. It was painted, for, uh, it was painted on a wall in a dining room. Except if it's a monastery, it's not called a dining room. It's called a, a refectory, which... It's almost the same thing as a confectionery, but not really. It's a refect- refectory, uh, which is just a dining hall. The whole wall of this dining hall, that's what's on it. Okay, most of the time you go into a dining hall t- today, you get like posters about how to prevent choking. Uh, this, is, uh, th- this is what Leonardo da Vinci painted uh, as a, p- a setting of... What, we, what most people refer to as the Last Supper. But here's... With Jesus every day. And there's, there's so many amazing stories I can tell you about what this painting has been through, but I, we don't have time today. Just look it up. It's just astonishing. But not only is this a famous painting by a famous artist, it is a picture of the first Christian Thanksgiving service. Most people don't realize it. This is a picture of the first Christian Thanksgiving service. So let's talk about Thanksgiving just really quickly. Um, I'm going to push this button again. Okay. There's never been a time in the history of creation where God's people have not given thanks. If you are a child of God, if you are called by his name, your default setting is to be thankful. Uh, and, you know, I know that when we think of the Old Testament, we tend to think of, you know, the times when God wiped out a bunch of ites. You know, this God, God and, and the various types of ites in the Bible just never got along. And so he was always smiting the ites whether the Jebusites or the Hivites or the Perizzites or the Parasites, whatever. He was always just smiting them. And, and you, get, you get the impression that God's angry. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know what the sentiment is that you get over and 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 over again all the way through the Old Testament? Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Let's read this together. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. 
For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100. But that's not the only place. I mean, it's like everywhere. The Psalms are shot full with this, and there are other places in the prophets where this, this whole sentiment, from the very beginning of time, once God breathed life into his people, their, their default way of functioning and living was to be thankful. Amen. To be thankful. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's the Old Testament perspective. I just wanted you to see that. But so how important is it? How important is it to, to be thankful? How important is it to give thanks? This is my favorite of all the thanks verses, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Let's read this together. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of you would like to know the will of God for your life right now? See those hands. If you just wish you knew the will of God for your life. There it is right there. God's will is for you to be thankful. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Actually, rejoicing is God's will for you. Praying without ceasing is God's will for you. And giving thanks all the time, out loud, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we just walked around doing this all the time, how much better would your life be? How much better would the world be? How, what would it do to impact the relationships you have around you? What would it do to impact the world around you? If you were doing these three things all the time. Now, a little, so pair, um, prepositions in Greek are a little funny. Uh, this, this, you know, in, I-N, Actually, it could be translated in, for, with, by. It's, it's kind of a nonspecific thing. But I will tell you this. Uh, I don't think this verse means give thanks for everything. Well, let's give thanks to God that your house burned down. I, I don't think that's what it means. What it does mean is that no matter what situation you are in, you can still give praise to God. Because... No matter what the situation looks like, God is good and all the time. And even when your house burns down, God is always faithful. You may be in the middle of something. You may be going through something. But here's the thing. You're going through it. You may be going going through something, but you're going through it. And God is always faithful because God never stops loving you. There's the, there is an incredible amount of spiritual power in thanksgiving, in giving thanks. It's actually the fundamental first primary foundational act of faith is to be thankful to God. We could talk about this for a long time, but oh, that would just be another series. Uh, but here's one of the... I, I referenced this uh, last week just briefly, and I'm going to touch on it just briefly again. Uh, there's this... In really tiny print down here, there's this article that I mentioned last week, How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. It's written by this guy named Travis Bradbury. You can find it at entrepreneur.com. And I'm going to ask Mike to put the link up on our website 
So you can read the whole article, and it's all, it'll also be on our Facebook page, because this article is worth reading. It's just, I can't begin to go into all of the, the neuroscience behind how important this is, but I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. You know, your, um, you know, your brain is like a muscle, uh, and you can strengthen it in certain ways to do certain things. Or you can, and by, by developing healthy mental and spiritual habits, you can change the way you relate to the world emotionally and spiritually and relationally. Because your brain, uh, this, this guy puts it like this. It says your brain, once it sees that you have a tendency to think or feel a certain way, it starts to reinforce the synapses in your brain that go to that place in your brain where you fix that emotion. Right? He says in the article that, that your brain is, try, is uh, super efficient. It's always trying to conserve resources. So instead of uh, building a brand new bridge every time you go across a certain river, just go ahead and build a permanent bridge. And so once you get it, that's how habits are formed. Once you, get your, once you allow yourself to get in the habit of always complaining, always criticizing, always feeling rejected, always feeling abandoned, always feeling hopeless, uh, then your brain just says, okay, well, obviously your thoughts and your emotions aren't going anyplace else. So let's just turn off the rest of your brain that makes you feel good and just build this part stronger. So over time, uh, if the pattern you establish is to be complaining and negative, over time you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's really happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. And here's the kicker. Complaining begins to damage other areas of your brain as well. Research has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus, which is an area of the brain that's critical to problem-solving and intelligent thought. And damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. So, uh, what I'm saying is that focusing on the negative and complaining and criticizing stuff around you and always focusing on the things that are wrong uh, is actually a way to cripple yourself. And you may be mad at all those people, but the more you do it, the more you cripple yourself. But here's the interesting thing about this article. This article wasn't written by a Christian. But their suggestion was one of the main ways that you can break this pattern and start to heal your brain. How many of you like to heal your brain today? All right. One of the ways that you can heal your brain is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Because when, when your brain, when, when you start, it's a, it's a choice on your part. But when you start to practice gratitude... When you, so let's start. When you feel like complaining, shift your attention to something that you're grateful for. Taking time to contemplate what you're grateful for isn't merely the smart, right thing to do. It actually reduces cortisol by 23% in your whole body. Cortisol is what's produced when, you're, when your fight or flight thing uh, process kicks in. 
and it's what drives anxiety, it's what drives fear, it's what drives anger. Uh, and it reduces cortisol by 23%. Researchers found that people who worked daily to cultivate an attitude of gratitude experienced improved mood and energy and substantially less anxiety due to lower cortisol levels. Yes, ma'am. It will all, that's right. That's my, yes, ma'am. So, you know, and boy, I, that's a part in this article that I left out because I didn't want to read the whole article. But one of the things it says, not only do you need to practice uh, gratitude in order to heal your brain, but you, but how many of you know that, that secondhand smoke can be just as bad for you as smoking? It's been proven by research that spending too much time around people who are chronically negative and critical has the same impact on your brain as if you were practicing it yourself. So uh, you have to begin to develop ways to manage uh, relationships with people who are Debbie Downers all the time. Then praying for them is a good place to start. Uh, there's part of that article that goes into that in more depth. But again, read the article. Uh, it's going to be online where you can just click on it and read the whole thing. So gratitude, thanksgiving, heals your brain. Uh, thanks living keeps your brain healthy. All right, here's, here's the cool part. Remember, I talked about the very first Thanksgiving was not the pilgrims. Very first Thanksgiving was, did not have turkeys. Very first Thanksgiving was Jesus with his disciples. This is Paul from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The very first Thanksgiving, Jesus with his disciples, breaking bread and giving thanks. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Or he said, Thanksgiving is the ultimate act of faith. Here's a question. What do you think Jesus was giving thanks for? Sitting around the table, his disciples. What was he giving thanks for? Or maybe put it another way. Why was Jesus giving thanks? Any thoughts? What was Jesus giving thanks for? And why was he doing it right now? What? That's right. Thankful for the family that, that God had put around him. John, did you say something? Okay. Um, somebody else? Michael? He knew. This is a, I mean, you know what's coming next. He knew what was coming next. His disciples didn't. They just thought they were having Passover. Uh, trying to choke down that horseradish. <laughs> uh, but but Jesus, Jesus knew what was coming next. Expressing his thanks and his trust to God. Somebody else? Yeah, he knew the divine plan. He was thankful for God. And you know what? Did you know that you can be thankful for the plan of God even when you don't know it? Do you know that God has a plan? 
Do you know that God is faithful? Do you know that God is never going to give up on you? Do you know that God is going to keep chasing you? Do you know that God is going to keep holding on you? Do you know that God isn't finished with you yet? God has a plan. You don't have to know it. Jesus happened to know it. Uh, Which is, well, that's the whole Garden of Gethsemane conversation because he did know it. Uh, But you don't have to know God's plan to know that he has one. All right? Turn around, look at somebody and say, God has a plan for you right now. All right. right, do you believe that? Okay, so, so, so now, let's make it more personal. Just take a moment, look at, uh, and say just to yourself, God has a plan for me. 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 Um, I think one of the things that was actually going on, I agree with everything that's been said so far, but it's a powerful example of what it means to put your life completely in the hands of the Father, which is what he wanted his disciples to see, especially since he was about to uh, be snatched away from them. Giving thanks is the way that we acknowledge that he is Lord, he is provider, he has a plan, He is always faithful, and everything is okay. Now, this is the crazy part. You know, sometimes you go up, you see somebody going through a hard time, and you go up to people, and you like, you know, you just like pat them on the back or something, you know, like that, and you go, Susie, don't worry. Everything is going to be okay. Well, that's, which makes Susie wonder, okay, when? When is it going to be okay? But giving thanks actually is a way of saying, I know everything is okay. Is Jesus on the throne right now? Is Jesus on the throne? Raise, raise your hand if you believe Jesus is on the throne. Raise your other hand if you're glad Jesus is on the throne. Hallelujah. That means everything is okay. Everything is okay. You're in the middle of something, right. You're going through something, right. You're going through it. Everything is okay because God has a plan for you. He's taking care of you. God is faithful and everything is okay. I want to push that again. Uh, So thanksgiving becomes the foundation of our faith. Now I have this question. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the term the Eucharist. Doesn't have anything to do with Bob Euchre. The Eucharist. (laughs) <laughs> kind of well, it'd be a pretty cool movie I guess uh, for at least for at least half of the world's Christians this is the term they use for the Lord's Supper or for communion celebrating the Eucharist is how they say how they describe the Lord's Supper or having communion together the Bible uses all three terms uh, but the Eucharist is the one that has been around the longest. There were people writing about celebrating the Eucharist within 50 or 60 years after uh, Jesus um, was crucified and and went to heaven. Uh, The earliest church fathers called it the Eucharist, and the word Eucharist means giving thanks. It means they're celebrating the giving of thanks. Based on Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 11. 
when they saw, when he said, remember, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And so historically, from the very beginning of time, the very beginning of the church only had one one thing that they did every time they got together, which was to have the Lord's Supper. Every time the church got together. Because Jesus said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. So that was really the only instruction that, they, that he gave them about how to worship. So they had communion every time. Not just every Sunday. But I mean, if they got together on Tuesday afternoon, they had communion. If they got together on Thursday night, they had communion. Because that's what Jesus said to do. Get, get together and remember me. This is how you remember me. By giving Thanks. In the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus by giving thanks. Look at this. Uh, Here's a headline. Our approach to the Lord's Supper is not supposed to be one of feeling guilty or ashamed or apologetic or promising to do better and try harder. It's like before, I have to sit here and stare at this little cup of stuff and think of all of the things that I did wrong this week and apologize to Jesus for every one of them before I can feel worthy to take communion. You can't make yourself worthy, right? Stop trying to make yourself worthy. Stop it. Because who made you worthy? Jesus made you worthy. Died on the cross to pay for your sins. You are worthy because Jesus says you are. Because, he, because your faith in Jesus Christ is what has made you worthy to receive what he's done for you. So uh, our, for too many people, for too long, the Lord's Supper has a time where we briefly feel guilty and ashamed or apologetic and we promise to do better and try harder. Now I can safely take communion. I know there's a, a teaching further in 1 Corinthians 11, but I think it just gets tweaked a little bit too much by people uh, because it wasn't uh, called, the early church didn't call it the giving of apologies. It called it the giving of thanks, the Eucharist, giving of thanks. We are invited by Jesus to have an attitude of gratitude for who he is, for what he has already done, which makes it possible for us to to which makes it possible for us to stand worthy in his presence, free, forgiven, and unashamed. That's what the Eucharist is for, to remind us of what he's already done for us so that we can give thanks to him for what he's done for us, so that we can be reminded that everything is okay and that we are safe and that we are accepted. To remind us of things like this, give thanks to the Lord for you are deeply loved by God. Because of you, as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you experience what it's like to be deeply loved by God, fully accepted by God, completely and permanently forgiven by God, lavishly blessed by God, and eternally, perfectly embraced by God as his child, a child who brings him unspeakable joy. Can you be thankful for that? Are you thankful for that this morning? Are you thankful for, for what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Not just what he has done, which is awesome and amazing, but are you thankful for the fact that right now everything is okay?
because God has a plan for you. God has a plan for everything that is affecting you and the kids that you love, the family that you love, the friends that you love, the country that you love. God has a plan. He hasn't, he hasn't just walked away. Uh, the devil is the one who wants you, to, wants you to walk away. Jesus hasn't walked away. Everything is okay because of who Jesus is and what he's done, and we can give thanks for that, for who he is and for what he's done. All right? We're going to... He's right. Oh, <laughs> Cindy, that's so true. That is so true. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, let's pray for a second. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. We surrender to your irresistible love and mercy, to your persistent, powerful pursuit of us. We surrender. We surrender. And for what we have received and for what we are going to receive, please make us truly thankful. We ask it in your name. Amen.